welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I've got a few people who are going to be sharing amazing stories, and I know that they will relate to anyone. So... As a church, one of our massive values is authenticity. We just really value being authentic. And, you know, it's so easy to come into a church and look around and think, these guys, like, look at them. They they all have everything together. And who knows that isn't true? (laughs) So many people here have been through amazingly tough journeys, and they don't have it all together. But we have one thing in common, and we love God, and we know Jesus who brings hope, He works with us, he brings miracles, and he's doing a work in all of us. So I want you to just feel at home this morning. And I really want to encourage you this morning um, to make these ladies feel valued. It's really hard just coming up here and speaking, but to then sit up here and maybe share quite a vulnerable story can be quite difficult. So I'd love you to really just encourage them and really be expectant in your heart that God can speak to you this morning through the stories. So I would love to welcome up... Three amazing ladies, Joe Anderson. Let's give them a hand. Annalise Harris and Ruth Dier. And I'm going to sit here. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be little Oprah here on the side. Welcome, girls. These girls are so lovely. I could rave for hours, but um, I'm going to give you a little intro because I know some of you may not know these ladies. So we have Joe Anderton here. Hi, Joe. She's a, happy Mother's Day, girls. She's a mum of three. Please correct me if I get anything wrong or add something, because I'm likely to. She's a mother of three and a grandma of two. Yes? Yeah. I need to move this plant. It's in your face. And she's an amazing part of Renew, along with her husband, Jono. He's probably somewhere here. They're involved in so much stuff, service team, worship. They were lounge church leaders during um, our lounge church phase, and Jo is one of our leaders in our cafe team, which is amazing. She's also a podiatrist, and she has the coolest foot stories. <laughs> like, you need to go up to Jo and say, Jo, can you tell me a foot story? <laughs> but she's very confidential, don't worry. If you've seen her, she's not going to tell your story. Um, you but she's so much fun to be around and has an amazing heart. So I love you, Joe. And we've got Annalise Harris here. She is a mum of six. Wow. Like, she deserves a hand just for that, guys. <laughs> um, she's an amazing part of our church. She's been a worship leader. Well, you were a mum's group leader for years. Honestly, I'm going to miss stuff out. Lounge church leader with her husband. She's the chairperson of our new school BOT, and I just think she's amazing at that role as well. Her husband, Dave, serves on our financial advisory team here at Renew, and you've been like a youth leader from way back. I'm sure I've missed out a ton of stuff. Just all around amazing. And you have such a massive heart for people and God, which I love, and I think a lot of people here really appreciate. Um, beautiful heart for people. So welcome, Anna. And and Ruth, some of you may not know Ruth, but Ruth Death is here. It's such an honour to have you. She is a mum of four. She's an amazing part of Renew as well. She's been a senior pastor for years in Rangiora. That's right. Were you youth pastors as well? Uh, Children's leaders. Children's leader. You go, Abby, if you need a backup for Kids Church. (laughs) Missionary. She's a nurse. (laughs) And she's helped launch and run two businesses in Whangarei, Bokibu and Benny Boys that you may have heard of. Um, not advertising there, but just letting you know. 
Is there anything I miss? There probably is. You're just amazing, aren't you, Ruth? I homeschool as well. You homeschool as well. There you go. (laughs) Homeschool tips, see Ruth. Um, Her husband, Chris, is currently on our oversight team, and Ruth and Chris are the ones running the Understand Our Royal Identity and Authority course that Mitch was talking about, so there's a face there. And you're such a faithful person and so kind, and I really love and appreciate you, Ruth. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to start with a couple of real quick questions, just to break the ice. And I think many of you know that I have left children behind before. I left my son at church one day on Mother's Day, had no idea, got home, someone rung me. We have your child here. Have any of you left your children somewhere before? Or is it just me? Am I a really bad mum? <laughs> no, I actually couldn't remember. I had to ask the kids. It's like, have I left you anywhere? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. <laughs> but they weren't very exciting stories. There was like one story where I think there was some church event on and I'd gone in my car and I had maybe one or two kids with me, and Chris had gone in his car with obviously only one kid. So there was one child still at home. So we got to where we were, and went, oh, we better go back and get them. No. Really? How? With six? That's impressive. Joe, have you ever left a kid behind? Uh, There's plenty of times I wish I'd left my kids behind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was was one in particular. Um, I'd gone to go and get a skin check, you know, my mole map and things. And I'd left, um, Zara was 11 and Caleb was nine. I left them in the waiting room and I took Shan um, in, in with me. And she sat on the chair as the doctor took these pictures of my moles and he put them on the computer so he could look up close, you know. And anyway, we left um, the waiting room. We came out into the waiting room to pay and Shan ran up to Zara and Caleb and she said, gosh, you'll never guess what mummy did. She went into that room with that strange man she took her clothes off and he took lots of photos. <laughs> Some of them really close up. And then he put them on the computer. Well, I could hear people in the waiting room like laughing, but the look on our Zara's face was just... I thought, how am I going to explain that this isn't quite what happened, you know? And as we were leaving, she said, she said how could you? She said, does dad know about this? <laughs> And she says, I am never getting a skin check. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best story. <laughs> That's so funny. That's How awesome. do I go on? Anyway, next question. Hardest part of being a mum? Well, for me, when the kids were little, it was actually um, supermarket shopping. Um, <laughs> because Shan in particular was the worst. She would run around and take stuff off the shelves. And there was one particular time... I said five words that a parent should never say to a child. You're trying to work it out now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, it was, if you do that again, and of course she did it again, challenge on, you know. So I picked her up and I put her in the trolley, in the front seat of the trolley, and um, which would have been fine had she been one or two, but she was five. And um, she had the chubbiest little legs, and she thought it was great being in the trolley, but um, by the time we got to the final aisle, her little legs were going blue. <laughs> And, uh, and Zara said to me, she said, Mum, how are we going to get her out? And I said, well, I said, if we wait a little bit longer, her legs will drop off and we can pick her out real easily. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, parents have it so easy today. Online shopping, it's just... Who you know. thinks Jo should have her own comedy show? I like a parenting comedy show. Anyone else? Hardest part of being a mum? Um, probably expectations on yourself. Yeah. It's actually like... Giving yourself grace to know that you're not always going to get it right. 
and that actually we don't need to be the Holy Spirit. That he's, he's got his own job. We just need to do, partner with God and let the Holy Spirit do his job. That's awesome. Um, I think it's just it's so relentless, you know, just like mm. being the ends. <laughs> <laughs> so one more job to do all the time. Yeah. Um, but also I think one of the hardest things for me has been like being a parent who's brought up so many things inside of you. You know, your kids press your buttons and then you realise there's all the stuff in you that you didn't know was there before you had kids. And so suddenly you've got all the stuff you've continuously dealing with yourself over as well. That's that's hard. Yeah. That's so true. I didn't know I had an anger problem till I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one of the highlights, Simon, what did you say? <laughs> one of the highlights of being a mum. Do you guys have anything to share? Um, yeah, for, for me, quality time is a really important end. Um, so creating memories as a, as a family has been really important. We've really done some neat things like, you know, missionary trips to Tonga. Um, we stayed in a castle once in Scotland, and we actually had to lock ourselves in as the police helicopters are flying around, and the armed police are outside because there's some random guy with a gun outside. Um, and then, of course, the, one of the biggest highlights was watching my son Caleb get told off by the police in front of uh, the Queen. <laughs> Do you want me to share that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, um, basically we were in London and Sean wanted to see the Queen and I said, uh, you know, we can go and see where she lives but we ain't going to see the Queen. Oh, no, we're going to see the Queen. And anyway, long story short, um, the Queen comes out to have her photo taken with some soldiers that come back from Afghanistan. And, um, you know, within minutes, the place is, is crowded out. And, um, and all of a sudden, these two police officers started walking towards us and shouting, get down, get down. And my heart's like going like pounding. And I'm thinking, oh my word, it's a terrorist attack. And then he says, you get down. And I'm thinking, oh my word, it's, you know, some man with a gun and he's gonna start shooting at us or the queen or, you know, I was just, oh, it's terrible. Anyway, I looked up and at this lamppost was this kid of about 10. And, um, and I thought, oh, you know, what irresponsible parents. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody knows that you don't climb lampposts in, in London. And, you know, uh, I mean, it's a security risk, especially when the Queen's there, you know. And, and then I looked around, I thought, oh, where's Caleb? And there he is up the lamppost. And, the, and, you know, he's just looking around as if to say, well, I don't know what the big deal is, but, you know, <laughs> I've got a great view of the Queen here. <laughs> And all I'm thinking is, oh my word, you know, we're going to get arrested and deported. I'm never going to see my UK family again. <laughs> so yeah, that was a highlight. So good. I'm so stoked Caleb's here this morning, but I won't point him out. <laughs> Anyone else? Hardest part of being a mum? Um, the highlight. Oh, sorry, the highlight, yes. Um, I think for me, watching my kids pursue and develop their gifts and their talents, it's really awesome to see. Um, and also in discovering Jesus for themselves and, and loving him. So, yeah, it's really awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's probably shared experiences, again. Um, some of them really the simple things, just sitting on the couch, reading a story together, and they're little. And then other things we've done, we've, we've been to the States for three months as a family and toured around. And even our time in Arnhem Land, Australia, and just thinking about staying out in community, and suddenly we, our grocery shopping that we're doing, this tiny little store is stopped because we can't get out. They've locked the doors because there's a guy with a machete outside. And so we just have to hang five for five minutes while the police go and deal with them. So <laughs> crazy. Just those random shared memories. <laughs> highlight of being a mum, a story like that. <laughs> Do you have a highlight, Joe? Or was yeah, that your highlight? Oh, was that the highlight? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I thought it was one of your hardest parts. <laughs> okay, so all three of you have had um, 
different journeys as mums, as many people have. And I just, I wanted to ask each of the ladies just to sh just share for a short moment um, a, short a short story, a bit of their journey with us. So Jo's going to start. Thank you, Jo. Well, it had been on our hearts um, to do foster care or adoption um, even before we moved to New Zealand when we were living in, um, uh, in the UK. But anyway, I'll just go back to when I was a child. I had this um, dream uh, that I was going to look after a little girl, and she had fair hair and a cute round face, and I remember the intense feelings that I had, and this dream was repetitive throughout my childhood and even into teenagers. Anyway, fast forward into New Zealand, and um, we'd done some respite foster care and decided to adopt um, to start the adoption process, and this is in September 2006. Now, at that time, I'd had a really vivid dream that um, uh, we were going to look after a little girl, and we were going to get her within a few months. So I decided it was a good idea to do um, overseas adoption. Incidentally, Jono didn't. He thought we were going to get a child another way. But um, anyway, we did this course, <laughs> and... Um, and we found, we found that sounded terrible, didn't it? <laughs> that wasn't written down. Um, and anyway, so uh, we found out on this adoption, overseas adoption course that it was going to take two years to get a child. And uh, I thought, well, this doesn't fit in with this dream I had. But anyway, and we didn't have New Zealand citizenship, so we weren't going to get accepted anyway. So I felt a bit disappointed. But the social worker said that we could, she could transfer our application to do permanent foster care, which is basically where you get a permanent guardianship and custody of a child who is unable to go back to their birth family. So I remember praying with a, a friend and um, that God would show us the right child for our family. And she didn't know about any of the dreams that I'd had. But as we were praying, she said, I really feel you're going to get a three-year-old girl. And she said, um, God is going to show you the name of that child before you meet her. Now, a few nights later, um, I remember waking up in the night. And I saw letters, uh, white letters above, above me. And they, it was S-H-I-A-N. Now, the letters were really blurry. I could hardly work, you know, what they am. And I thought, why are they blurry, Lord, you know? Um, I, and I thought maybe it's because that's not how her name is spelt, but maybe that's the sound of the name, but I still couldn't kind of work out. Shh, I, A, N, no, couldn't work it out. About the same time, um, John was going for a walk past, literally around the corner from us, is a children's home. And um, at the window, this little girl is staring out. And Jono um, really felt that God saying to him, that is the little girl that you're going to adopt. Wow. Now, I kept walking past that children's home <laughs> numerous times, and I, I never saw any child. Now, the foster care application was fast-tracked in the December of 2006, and um, we met, had interviews and uh, a few visits from social workers. And uh, one time, the social workers um, uh, were saying that this is a little three-year-old girl that they think would fit really well in our family. I was this is coming together, you know. And then they said, but there's um, lots of other um, families also interested. Uh, so I was like, oh. And then as they were talking, I heard them say the name, Cheyenne. And I just thought, oh, that is the same as the letters I saw, you know, Cheyenne. And I thought, well, those other families haven't got a chance, you know, she's ours. <laughs> and in January, we had a call um, to say that we could meet Cheyenne. She was living around the corner from us in the children's home. Of course, John had seen her. Now, we were told it takes months from meeting a child uh, to them moving in. So um, we met Cheyenne, and she sat on my knee the first time we met her, and I looked at her. She had fair hair and a bob and a cute round face, 
And she was a very child I dreamt about multiple times as a child. Um, now, there was an instant bond. She hadn't actually bonded with anybody, um, but she, there was an instant bond with us and our family. So much so that when she left, um, she would go to the door and cry. Within two weeks of meeting her and only a few visits, she'd moved in with us permanently. Just like the dream that I'd had that we were gonna get a child within a few, a few months. She was neglected, broken, and hurting. She needed lots of love and prayer and healing. When we got her, she couldn't talk or run or laugh, but within weeks, she was a changed girl. She brought us lots of laughter and tears, and she brought us so much joy that we even changed her middle name to Joy. One night, I'm putting her to bed, and she's just lying, lying down in bed, and I said, good night. And she said, Mommy, she said, did Sarah come out of your tummy? I said, yes. Did Caleb come out of your tummy? I said, yes. I knew the next question. Did I come out of your tummy? And I said, no. Well, she sat up in bed, and she looked so excited that she was different from her brother and sister. <laughs> she said, I know. She said, I came out of Daddy's tummy, didn't I? <laughs> So um, a while later, um, she wanted to change her name from Cheyenne. I think that was part of leaving the sad part of her life behind. And she changed her name to Shan. Now, Shan is spelt S-I-A-N. S and I in Welsh, because it's a Welsh name, is pronounced sh. So the very same letters I had seen that night. So we adopted her and formally changed her name to Shan. Shan means... God has been gracious and shown favor, which he has. It also means God's gift, and she is the, one of the best gifts our family has ever had. There are many times um, that I have felt I don't have the qualities or the abilities to be the mum that Sean needs, and God reminds me that he chose her to be in our family, and he chose me to be her mum. <laughs> and what a blessing it is. Yeah. I love you, Sean. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. And I just love Shan. She's such a beautiful, amazing girl. So that's so precious. Um, Anna, would you like to share? We're probably all going to just cry. <laughs> it's like a great way for me to start. I'm a real cry. So um, anyway, I'll try not to. Um, so I think I'll start by saying that at a right old age of 22, I became a mum. At that stage in our lives, we were married and we had this great plan to work hard and save as much as we could and pay as much of our job as we could and we'd have kids much later in life. And so it was a bit of a shock to find that suddenly I was expecting this baby. But it was good. Anyway, we'd always decided that when, um, when we had children that I would become stay-at-home mum and give our kids the best that we could for the first at least five years. And so I left my career and so much of my life to become a stay-at-home mum, which was all things that I really loved. So, you know, I, um, I now have this baby who was so dependent on me, which I was not used to, and it was really hard. Um, she didn't like going out places, she didn't like sleeping anywhere that wasn't her bed, and so it meant that I couldn't do so many of the things that I really enjoyed. And I found it really tough to have to give up. Basically, it felt like I gave up my life to have a, have a baby and, and have children. 
And I just found that incredibly difficult and um, went through what I call an identity crisis. So suddenly I was like, who am I? I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. And as she grew, it was, it was good and she was lovely and I loved her and she was beautiful and she was sparkly and she's, she was so amazing and such a delight. But I just, I found it so challenging and I really struggled with this constant kind of darkness um, surrounding me. That's the only way I could really describe it. But she got older and, and things got easier as they do when they get bigger. And so, um, well, I think anyway, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not. harder. <laughs> yeah, not sure that's true, but anyway. And so she, um, and so then we decided, okay, let's have another one because now we've started, we might as well keep having babies. So we did, so we got pregnant. And, and a few months later, I got meningitis um, while I was pregnant and um, was incredibly unwell. And, and to this day, we still, um, <laughs> we still, sorry, <laughs> I wrote this all down because I was like, if I start crying, at least I can read. Um, but we still believe that God intervened and saved my life and our baby. But what followed um, at that time was basically what we describe as kind of four years from hell. So we had him and then um, also we, you know, we, then our baby was born six weeks early um, and fighting for his life. And so we, you know, we got on with it and eventually got him home from the hospital and carried on and, you know, survival mode. Um, And then we were like, oh, let's have another baby. (laughs) I'm not sure why you do this to yourself, but anyway, it was lovely. So we had another baby and that baby arrived three months early. And um, we were helicoptered to Auckland while I was in labour and it was traumatising. And so, you know, we were in hospital again for um, a good chunk of that three months and finally brought him home just before Christmas. Um, And after everything that we'd been through, I was so traumatised that I actually don't remember most of the first year of his life. Um, Probably even more than that, but definitely up to the sort of first year. And so... You know, here I am now at home with this baby that we finally got home and and everything was just, it was always a relief. It wasn't ever a joy, you know. So you, you have a baby and it's supposed to be a joyous occasion. It's supposed to be wonderful. It's supposed to be amazing. But for us, it was just, oh, thank God we're home. You know, thank God we're here. Thank God he's alive. I'm just relieved. There's no joy in it. It's just, oh, I can breathe. But then I had three little kids, age three, one, and zero, and it was just like Groundhog Day. And so anyway, we, we kind of carried on surviving one moment at a time. After spending months in hospital, I'd been in hospital and out of hospital myself with health problems. Um, you know, we'd been separated from each other for months and it was just crazy. And so what I was left with was this deep feeling of grief for what should have been but wasn't. And it was like I'd been robbed of all the should-have-beens, you know, it should have been good, it should have been joyous, it should have been a full-term pregnancy, it should have been a delight, but it wasn't. And so we carried on that way, and and I didn't really think anything of it, I just was in survival mode and and carrying on, and over time things got easier, and we were absolutely terrified. When we had Zeke, we were told that if we had more children, we would have them really premature, so we shouldn't have any more kids, and so we were left with this feeling of like we would like to have more children, but we can't, because it would be wrong, 
Um, but God did a massive work in us and he gave us some real promises and prompted both of us separately to trust him. And so we decided that we would have another baby. And so we went on to, to have Samuel, who was born at 39 weeks at full term. Um, and then after that, we had two more children. So that's how we've got six. <laughs> All born at term or overdue even. Um, and so, you know, in spite of all of that, God was so faithful to us, but I struggled with my mental health after every single baby. So I went through times of massive depression, um, of huge anxiety, where I had raging anger, where I couldn't control myself. Um, I didn't even realize what, you know, that I was struggling with depression. So I just thought, what on earth is wrong with me? I'm really struggling with being angry with my kids, but I don't know why. Um, I, you know, I just wanted to celebrate God's goodness to us because our babies were alive. You know, so many other people, they lose their babies, but ours were alive and they were doing well and they were thriving and healthy, but I just could not even, like, I could see the goodness of God, but I just, I couldn't even kind of celebrate that. It was, it was just tough. Um, I'm not sure where I'm up to. Sorry. Hold on one moment. And so I just carried on kind of feeling quite in this sort of cloud of darkness, of quite smothered and hopeless, um, really down. And, and then I got anxiety kind of as time went on. And, and when I had anxiety, I'd have panic attacks. So every day without fail, when it came to time to make dinner, I would have this panic attack because I couldn't decide what to make for dinner. Um, it sounds like the stupidest thing, but anxiety and depression do crazy things to you. It, you know, things that you'd normally would just be normal are no longer easy. And everything felt so hard. Um, so for nine years, I struggled with that before I finally was like, there's something not right about this. I can't live this way. Like, this is crazy. And so I sought help. But I just wanted to say that throughout that time, I was doing all the things that a good Christian should. So I was um, coming to church. I loved Jesus. I prayed. I read my Bible. I spoke in tongues. I cared for others. I ran groups. I worship led on Sunday mornings. I did all of those things, but, but it still happened to me. You know, sometimes I think as Christians we can sort of think that um, if we love Jesus enough or if we do something enough, then we won't have these massive burdens or we won't struggle with our mental health. But it's not true. And, um, you know, we can still struggle and we can still do amazing things even though we struggle. And so to heal, I sought Jesus. I saw my doctor. I took medicine. I had counselling. I did a course. I did things for others. I looked after myself better because good mental health needs a healthy spirit, a healthy body, and a healthy soul. Sometimes I still have dark days or anxiety, but I bounce back. I'm just going to read this last bit because it's what I really wanted to say. So here I am, the unexpected mom of six. <laughs> God has done so much in me that I no longer wish that my kids would grow up so that I could have my life back. I see that they are my life. Sorry. <laughs> and they are my future. Who they are and how I raise them will leave a lasting impact on the world for greater than what I could do alone. My children have built the love of Jesus in me that no one else could have. I've learned that in community is hope, healing, comfort, and safety. We were feared, watered, loved, mended, and carried by our friends, family, and our church whanau. And many of you were a part of that. 
I know that Jesus is with and for the brokenhearted. He deeply cares for those who are struggling, beaten and bruised. He doesn't add more to the to-do list of an exhausted and burnt out person. He says, come here to me, rest a while. Let's lighten this load. You weren't meant to carry it anyway. So when you feel broken, vulnerable, mistreated or abused, you can run to Jesus because I can stand here today or sit here today (laughs) and say that he takes our brokenness and transforms it into something beautiful. Man, I just really believe the Holy Spirit's giving some of you guys hope and doing a work in your heart and we'll pray with you at the end, but you may not even be a mum and you've been really struggling and Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing that. It's just beautiful. And God is so for you guys. Thank you. Ruth, would you like to share? Yeah. Hi, I'll probably cry to it at some stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was told by my kids that I wasn't allowed to embarrass them, so I've tried to keep this not about them. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a Christian family, um, and life kind of seemed fairly normal until I was about 10, and then my mum got sick. So suddenly there was hospital, there was surgery, there was treatments, and finally more hospital. And so when I was 11, she died. Um, And so children are very good recorders, but poor interpreters. And so of course this this, uh, affected me as well. But over this time, I grew closer to God. I got into my teen years. I loved the Psalms. I could so appreciate David's passion, you know, the pain he felt, but the praise of God all at the same time. Um, youth group was really important, and um, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but there were significant moments when mum wasn't there. Um, I got married, and like my mum, her mum before her, and several aunties, I graduated as a nurse, and she wasn't there at the graduation. Um, but God is so good, and he led, he's led me, and he continues to lead me on the journey of more freedom and more life in him. So during that time, he's... Um, brought up the grief of mum dying, the feelings that, that somehow you take on board of abandonment and of loneliness. So he brought me into healing of that. And then when our first baby arrived, a son, God brought more healing and more freedom, the grief that mum wasn't there to enjoy her grandson. I'm freedom to believe that God had good things for me. Two years later, <coughs> I had a second baby a beautiful bonnie girl. When I was pregnant with her, I wondered if I would love this child as much as I love my first one. Um, but it's a kingdom principle that the kingdom is always exponential, so there's always enough and you just grow. So my heart expanded to love her with the same intensity as my first baby. Um, the journey continued and God continued to show me more of his character, that he is a good God, that he does want to give me good things. He exposed fear in my life, fear of the future, fear of good things being taken, and of grief that mum wasn't around now to enjoy her granddaughter and the mothering that I'd missed out on. But God continued to show me that he is, he is good, that his nature and character are consistent and true all the time. Um, I had two more babies, and I know that I'll see mum in heaven In the meantime, I can rest in God's abundant provision, knowing that we are complete in Jesus. We're complete, but we're growing like a a plant. My my kids always laugh because I talk about a garden. (laughs) But we like that garden, growing in him. 
And I think of Second Peter 1, 3, where it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And I look back through my life and I see how God has provided. We are, when mum wasn't there, he provided people. He provided neighbours in our village, women, families in the village who would drop round with a pie, who would make sure that um, my children, the siblings that I had and myself had clothes. Then there were all the pastors, the youth group leaders, even you know the pastor saying, saying hi as I walked in when I didn't even know they knew my name. There were, then there were the aunties and there still are the cousins, the friends, who for me and for our children have gone the extra mile. And I'll just tell one little story, but it's not bad on the kids. We, we had adopted grandparents um, when we had one and two little preschoolers. We lived next door to this lovely old couple who we call them Granddad Angus and Grandma Joyce. And they had the lolly jar in their house. So we had to put chicken wire on the gate to stop our little toddlers <laughs> climbing over to go and see Granddad Angus and Grandma Joyce. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so it's just good to know that God is always there, that we go through this stuff, but he's always with us and he always brings good out. So good, thank you. I just love these ladies even more, don't you? Just hearing them share, like, it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. I just want to finish with a couple of quick questions just to finish up this morning. How would you encourage those today who may be finding this day particularly hard for various reasons? Um, well, I know from past experience, I message Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so Anna's going to answer the question, really. <laughs> the message me. <laughs> You can if you want to. Um, I just was thinking about this. This was a. Um, I thought about this extensively because I know today can be so hard for people for so many ways or reasons. Um, I just said, do what you need to do to get through and pass today, and avoid the things that trigger you, which I don't always recommend. But I think you know, four times like this, you do need to, and that sometimes social media and ads and you know that sort of thing. But also to find a safe person to talk out your thoughts and feelings because there's healing in community, um, and to remember that Jesus identifies with your sorrow and your suffering because He's a safe place that you can run into. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Do you want to share anything, Ruth? Yeah, I wanted to say everyone experiences loss and disappointments in different seasons of their life. And so it's important that we don't let life define us. We don't let those circumstances define us and God. But every day we can find things to be thankful for. We give him our challenges, we give him those disappointments, and then we look to see his perspective. So we can ask him, what are you doing today, God? What are you wanting to show me? That's awesome. And last question for you all. Best piece of advice or wisdom you've been given as a mum or just in life in general? Because we'd love to learn all we can. <laughs> well, I always like the, um, the little saying, sort of, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Is it a mountain? Is it a molehill? Yeah. And I think sometimes we can make the decision to um, stress less and laugh more. I'll just give um, one little example. Um, we, as a family, used to love watching The Crocodile Hunter, and we had all the DVD series, and we watched them time and time again. <laughs> And there's one where Steve Irwin's um, trying to track down a goanna, and he finds this little tiny bit of dried up poo, and um, 
And he's, he's so excited about it because he's going to take it home and, and um, have a look to see what he's been eating. So anyway, our Caleb's about four. And um, he comes running in. He said, Mom, Mom, I found some goanna poo. And uh, he puts his hand in his pocket and he pulls out this um, a massive pile of dog poo. <laughs> now, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, my word, this is so disgusting. And then the teacher mum in me is thinking, maybe we should make this into a teachable moment and have a look to see what the dogs have been eating. <laughs> or, but actually, I just laughed. You know, it was funny. I thought, I'll, I'll tell that one again. <laughs> I did. <laughs> You have the best stories, Joe. Um, mine was that I've got three very small things, which was one, there's new gra- uh, grace and new mercy for today, every day, you know. Um, and you need it every day. Sometimes you need all of it. Um, take time out for yourself and to do things that you like. And the last one, which was from my amazing mum in law, was pajamas don't matter. And I'm going to let you think about that for a little while and think about what that could mean. <laughs> Um, my one is be yourself, everyone else is taken. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And two, that one also relates to your family as well. Like each family has its own unique expression of God and, and aspects of God character. So be comfortable and, and actually enjoy and laugh at yourself and your family. Oh, I love that so much. Let's give these girls a hand. Thank you so much for sharing. Amazing. Thank you so much. If you. Um, If you're like, man, I know someone who would be really encouraged by this, Um, just remember the podcast and the video are available online so you can share that with people that you know might be really impacted. But just in closing, one thing I love about the Bible is it is just so real and open and honest about people and it shares their stories. Um, Sometimes really ugly stories are recorded in their difficult journeys and, you know, it it helps us realise that People are real, but there is a God who is a redeeming God. He brings hope. He uses everything you go through. And um, yeah, God walks with you through your painful journeys, but he brings hope. He's a redeeming God. He's a God of miracles. And I just loved your stories, girls. Thank you so much. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. But that doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. The Bible actually promises that you will have difficulties and hard times and trials, but we know that God will work those for good. He will empower us to be all he's called us to be, to do all he's called us to do, and he'll use everything for his glory. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.